I'm Julia Sherbakov, and this is Impact Journey. Conversations with hidden heroes making big societal change. I've been screamed at, locked out of buildings. Well, now if we have a challenge getting in the door, it's because everyone else wants to get in the door. Climate Week and UN General Assembly Week, you could trip in the streets of Manhattan over CEOs who are rushing to events to talk about the sustainable development goals. Today, I am fortunate to welcome Aaron Kramer, CEO of BSR. Aaron is probably one of the most recognized authorities on sustainable business globally. In his role as CEO of BSR, the Sustainability Network and Consultancy, and on advisory boards at Marks & Spencer's, SAP. About his journey, I was so curious to learn from his 25 years in sustainable business. He has really a unique point of view on how it's evolved, both looking backwards and you'll hear his hilarious descriptions about what an uphill battle it really was in the 90s, to now being more downhill. And yet when speaking about the current moment, even though it's not as hard to get in the door, it is more complex in terms of the urgency of the issues, in terms of the scale, and also paradoxically in the shift in social consciousness and how now hope and faith in the future have become a rare commodity and how leadership from the heart is becoming the most necessary tool to get us through. So as always, rate, review, send me your comments, impactjourneypodcast at gmail.com and enjoy my conversation with Aaron Kramer. Well, starting out, I'd love to hear a bit about actually how you got here, your background. I know you're a recovering lawyer, a recovering journalist, and now at BSR for over 20 years. But going even further back beyond that, I'm just kind of wondering, where did this all begin? What's the thread in your life that's brought you all this way? Well, um, I think that my family played a role in shaping how I see the world. I mean, I grew up in a family that was actively involved in not formal politics, but in public uh, issues in many ways. My father, my grandfather were both actively involved in the Jewish community in, in Los Angeles, where I grew up. I remember being aware at a very, very, very young age of things like the day Martin Luther King died and mm. the day Robert F. Kennedy died and how important that was. And so I always thought from a pretty young age that I would want to be involved in public-oriented uh, issues. I'm not sure I could have envisioned how that would happen, but hmm. I've never actually heard it put that way. What What does that mean to you, public-oriented issues? Um, just what's going on in the news. I mean, that's always been. Um, I mean, you know, my parents told me from when I was really, really little and first learned to read. I just would always read the newspaper, and um, so I was just always very curious about what was going on in the wider world. And you know, I was born in 1962, so. I remember lots of things happening like Watergate and the end of the Vietnam War and really significant historical events that drew my attention. And those were the things I was always most interested in. Oh, interesting. So how did you see your role in that? How did, how did you think about that? How did you decide at each stage? 
Well, I didn't really know. No one I knew, no one in my family was involved professionally in anything like that. So I didn't, I didn't know there were no lawyers in my family. No one was in, had a job in, in politics. There were no journalists in my family, none of that. But that was what I gravitated towards. And so I guess, you know, beginning in high school, just working on the school newspaper and then in college doing similar things. So I would have guessed that journalism or something to do with politics would have been more likely to be my career than business. I don't think I would have anticipated that the focus would have been uh, business. My 20-year-old self would not have guessed that. <laughs> so how did that come about? I guess, what, what did you see and learn and experience both in journalism and in law that eventually led you to business? Well, I mean, I think, again, I'm sort of a product of my times. And so, you know, I, I finished law school in 1989. And the 1990s were a time when the you know, business was driving a lot of change in the world mm. um, just after the the end of the Cold War and globalization and the Internet and all of these things were flowing together, really, to make business one of the most interesting platforms. And there was the corporate responsibility or sustainability movement that began in the late 80s and early 90s as well. And, you know, honestly, I think in some ways it was a, a question of being in the right place at the right time. And just, you know, that was the environment um, where interesting things were beginning uh, to happen. And, um, you know, I'd grown a little disillusioned with journalism when I worked at ABC News, seeing um, people who, you know, journalists at their best were skeptical. I worked with a lot of people who were deeply cynical. And I basically said, that's not the life I want to live. I, I have a very different perspective now. I think I think I made some over overly strong judgments because I was 22 years old um, and didn't know what I didn't know, didn't have the life experience to contextualize things, but the opportunities to see change happen and uh, have an interesting career through business became much more powerful. So how did, how did you end up at BSR? Well, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted it to be more public oriented and more global than the law practice that I had. Through a, a series of very happy coincidences, I met uh, Bob Dunn, who was the CEO of a new organization called BSR, and he was looking for someone to start a human rights program. And and this is not false modesty. I was very fortunate to be offered the opportunity to to take it on. And so I did in 1995. Oh, wow. So actually, in a way, it, it helped bridge the law and the business a bit, right? Because I think human rights is just kind of at that intersection. Yeah, there's no look, I, I'm glad I'm not practicing law right now. But equally, I'm very glad that I had legal education and and did practice for five years. I think I, I learned a lot of really important skills. And there's no doubt that A, that helped to punch my ticket for the job at BSR and B, it was a useful way of thinking about creating an intersection of human rights and business, which at that point was not an idea that was very widely accepted. And that's amazing. So that was 95, you said. So almost uh, 25 years ago, because just thinking over the last 25 years, how much the world of business and how much the world of sustainability and business has just evolved. I mean, it's almost night and day. And I imagine when you were starting out, it was a bit of an uphill battle. Now it's more of a downhill battle. Well, that's 100% right. So it was a total uphill battle. I mean, we had some kind of bizarre experiences in the early days. We were trying to recruit a company. They're now considered a strong leader on sustainability. And we tried to bring them into BSR. They asked their Washington law firm to tell them who this strange fledgling organization was. 
And to prove how long ago it was, the law firm then faxed in their report and they faxed it to us instead of to the company. And it was clear that this law firm had concluded that we were a threat to the market economy, that we were dangerous leftists or something. And so that that was the mindset then. It was tough. Oh, my gosh. I've been screamed at, locked out of buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So it was much harder. Well, now if we have a challenge getting in the door, it's because everyone else wants to get in the door. So it's it's so that that's what's changed. You know, coming out of Climate Week and UN General Assembly Week just last month, you could trip in the streets of Manhattan over CEOs who were rushing to events to talk about the Sustainable Development Goals or their new climate commitments. That's you know, I'd much rather navigate that problem than you know be a lonely voice in the wilderness. The companies that are best at sustainability are the ones that also recognize their limitations most readily and recognize the importance of collaboration. And so we, we need all of it. We need absolutely all of it. And, and we need business leaders who understand the importance of government, governmental leaders who understand the importance of markets, civil society leaders who understand that collaboration with others is crucial that they need to be strong and vocal advocates, but they also need to find ways to build solutions. You know, it's more lateral thinking. And that, that another, that's a, another reason, frankly, why the work continues to be so interesting mm-hmm. is because it's building these unlikely partnerships that are the best way, I think, to make big things happen. Yeah. And that actually brings up a, a question, which is there's there's kind of this tension. Um, something that BSR does really well is convening, right? Bringing people together and having them work together, whether it's in a business sector, but also outside of business. So on the one hand, it's being this kind of popular big tent convener. Let's bring everybody in and work together. But on the other hand is being this kind of agitator activist, letting people know that we need to move faster and, and better? And, and and how do you manage that that tension of let's include everybody, let's meet them where they are versus bring them to where we think they should be? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think increasingly it's important to be really clear what the broad objective is. Where, where are we trying to head? And I think we've tried for BSR to become more clear about that. I think for a long time, I think we could perhaps have been accused of of being process oriented. And now I think we're very clear what needs to happen with respect to climate. Well, we we need to aim for net zero no later than the middle of the century. We just signed a a letter with nine other nonprofits just this week, publicly calling for business to align their lobbying efforts with the Paris Agreement uh, objectives. So yes, we are a convener. Yes, we wanna bring people together but for what purpose? And it's got to be to achieve systems change, uh, whether it's on food systems, whether it's on the energy system, whether it's on rule of law, which is under threat in a a lot of places. The convening is not the end in itself. It's got to be a means to an end. And I think all of us working in this area need to be very clear about what the ends ought to be because we don't have any time to waste. Yeah. It's convener with a mission, right? Exactly. You know, in a way, the what you were saying, the role of, of BSR also shifting a bit from kind of being a neutral process oriented one to having really a stronger point of view is also mirroring what's happening in business, right? Before it was quite 
almost anathema, right, to say for even company CEOs to stand up and say, we believe in this. It's like, no, no, we're staying out of it. These are not our issues. Whereas now it's becoming more of necessary, right, of what is your point of view? And it sounds like BSR is doing the same. Yeah. I mean, look, we're living in more challenging times right now in many ways. Um, the, you know, democracy is facing, I think, the most significant challenge in, in my lifetime. It's certainly true in United States, where where I live, but it's also true in parts of Europe. It's true in Brazil. It's true in the Philippines. It's true in India. It's true in Turkey. It is a global challenge, and I don't think business can just say, "Well, that's a political question. We're going to stand aside." I think businesses have always agreed that and always advocated for open markets, and and there's a clear business reason for that. But open markets require open societies. They they require open exchange of ideas. They require transparent and fair legal systems. And if those things are under threat, I, I think it is folly for businesses to believe that they can continue to thrive and do what they do. And fortunately, there are some business leaders, I, I would still say not enough, but, but some business leaders who are standing up and saying, that's not right. We, we need a functioning democracy. We need for immigrants to be treated fairly. We need for rule of law to be applied. And we will not and we cannot solve or achieve the sustainable development goals if we have too much of a democratic deficit. And businesses will find themselves on the wrong end of non-democratic governments very fast. It is folly to believe that um, it's only immigrants or it's only other marginalized communities who are going to face the wrath of governments that don't treat everyone fairly. I wish that it were not as necessary for business leaders to stand up and speak about law and respect for human rights and democratic processes and fair treatment of all people. I wish it weren't so necessary. I wish that businesses could focus more on innovation and investment and employees and climate solutions, but I don't think they have that luxury right now. It must be exhausting in a way for you, but but also energizing to maintain that sense of urgency. And, and like you said, not just being the convener, but being the convener with a sense of urgency and mission. How is that for you living that? Well, first, it is energizing. And I remember when I got the job first at BSR, I was sitting in bed reading the New York Times when it was an actual paper newspaper. And I said to my wife that everything in this newspaper is now relevant to my work. And that's very energizing. I am feeling a state of significant agitation right now because the need for urgency is so great. I think, well, I am an optimist and I think there are a lot of good things happening. I also think that the world is not pointed in the right direction in, in many ways. And I think we have to have both patience and urgency, patience, because you know what we're trying to accomplish is a series of long-term goals. But you don't get to long-term goals if you don't act with urgency today. And so I, I am feeling that very powerfully right now in, in 2019, more so than I have really at any other time when I've, since I've been doing this work. Yeah, you're right. And that tension between patience and urgency is kind of the <laughs> almost the, the lifeblood of all of this work that we do. What have you learned kind of along the last 25 years in terms of balancing that patience and urgency? Um, I think I've learned the importance and the value of being bold. I think people are looking for a degree of clarity 
the most positive reactions I've gotten from colleagues, our member companies and others have been when we've stepped out and said, you know, this is where we need to go. I think people are looking for that clarity of direction in a world that is really complicated and things are pointing in many different directions at once. It's one thing that's become clearer to me in, in the hmm. last uh, couple of years in, in particular. Yeah, it's true. It reminds me a lot of, and I know this example gets cited often, the mission to go to the moon back in, and you know, and, and you were you were there, I mean, not on the moon, but <laughs> you were alive during that yeah. time, right? But I think it often gets cited and as a good example too, right, of being bold, of setting this target for something that seemed almost impossible at the time, but really that having the effect of energizing and really moving so many people in a common direction. So I like that what you're saying is, how do we do that? How do we set that moonshot target, but for for business and for society? Well, President Kennedy gave a speech, which I've, I've seen clips of many times, and I, I cite from time to time on exactly that point. I mean, remember the words, we choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Um, that kind of spirit is I, I think people have lost their faith in the future in many ways. That's something that's changed in my lifetime. I think when I was little, when I was young, there was a broad sense that of human progress and that it was maybe not easy, but inevitable. Now, I don't think that's true. And I think you see this in all sorts of polling data. And this is why we have Brexit and Trump and anti-immigrant sentiment and, and xenophobia and a turning inward. So I, I think we need to find a way to reclaim faith in the future and faith in human progress. So that's something that I think is an implicit part of what we're doing that maybe needs to be made more explicit, actually, that we need to build a future that works for everyone and restore people's faith that that is actually achievable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that actually brings up another question that's going back to a bit with the work that you do with BSR and the leaders of these companies that you work with. In order to create that change, there's this balance of transforming and enabling and catalyzing the individual versus the organization and the collective. And the challenge here is it's actually, I mean, it's hard enough to, to change an individual and take time for people to change. Often people don't. Once they do, they can have a, a good impact. But often then those CEOs leave the company, right? People don't stay in organizations for very long. And so I'm wondering, where do you, have you seen change happen? And how have you seen that balance of, of change at the individual level versus then embedding that into organization and culture? Well, it's a great question. And it's it's really hard to answer, I think. <laughs> You know, I think for some people, they are motivated by their heart and a sense of what's right and wrong. And, and I'm thinking now of CEOs and there are others for whom it's all head and analytics. And I was at a fascinating uh, conference on energy in Norway in February of this year. And there was a very heartfelt dialogue that was sparked by having three women in the energy sector in their 30s and 40s. And in that business, if you're in your 30s and 40s, you're young, how they see the future of their business. And they spoke from the heart and in a way that reached a lot of people. As one of them said, I have an eight-year-old daughter 
who asks me why I'm working for a company that's ruining the future. And wow. he just said, look, you know, no human being should be able to, you know, overlook that. That's very profound. There was another speaker at this conference who put out a very sharp challenge to the industry based on, you know, unfairness in our tax systems, subsidies, very passionate, but all about facts and people, not everyone, but a lot of people put their guard up. Mm. And it was very interesting just in this one context in an industry that I, I think for the most part is wrestling with what its future is. Oh, yeah. Knows that things cannot stay the same. In an industry that's known for being full of engineers, I saw not insignificantly three women speaking from the heart and one man speaking from more of an mm. economic and political perspective and the heart won. And, and that's, I think, I would bet that more people remember that than remember the economic debate and challenge that was out there. So I hope, though, everyone has their eyes open to the way the world is changing and what the reality is and not just sort of blindly following what's right in front of them and, and seeing the bigger picture. I just want to kind of pause and appreciate your ability to kind of take this, these really various pieces and articulate them and frame them and also put them in perspective in a really clear way. And it's fascinating because I can see you doing that for yourself. And I think it really helps others. So thank you for that. Well, you're very kind. And I think the empathy and insight that you bring to this discussion is really great as well. So I'm, I'm appreciative for that also. Thank you. A big thanks to Aaron Kramer. You can follow his work at bsr.org and on Twitter at Aaron Kramer. This has been Impact Journey. See you next time.